Hi, I'm Elena Becker, and this is P.S., the Puget Sound podcast, where we'll be talking with members of our campus community about their Puget Sound experiences. Today, we're recording from Moonyard Studio in Tacoma, Washington, and our guest is Elena Fulton, a senior from Denver, Colorado. Hi, Elena. Hi, Elena. Can you just explain quickly why we did that? I love that so much. Me too. So I think that started during orientation, maybe? Easily two or three years ago. Two or three years ago, yeah, which was really wonderful. And I think I actually met you... Maybe the first day of training, like we walk in, you know, like everyone's in the rotunda. Yeah. And we should tell people just to be, if this isn't obvious, that we overlapped as students. So when I was a senior yes. and you were a sophomore, mm-hmm. we were at Puget Sound at the same time. Yes, thus we were. orientation leaders. Thus orientation leaders. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I met you and it was very exciting. I always, I like meeting people that have also the same name as me. It's unusual. Because it's unusual. And we also happen to spell our names the same we way. We do. E-L-E-N-A. E-L-E-N-A. Yes. Yes, definitely. And it just kind of became a thing. Like whenever we would see each other during like training or throughout orientation, it was just a quick like, hi, Elena, you know, just kind yeah. of in passing. And it always really, it was just a good sort of day brightener. I loved it. And that kind of extended back to, to campus. And that was just a really lovely like greeting. Now we kind of <laughs> shouted at each yeah, other. Yeah, we kind of do from across, like across, yeah, across the quad. <laughs> But it is, Which is um, great. it is a day brightener for me too. It's always lovely to see you, and we are just so happy well. to have you with us here today. Thank you for having me. It's really great to be here. Would you maybe kick things off by I think one of the themes that's come up for us so far is this idea of um, and at Puget mm. Sound, so that people do all of these things. I'm this major and this minor mm-hmm. and these extracurriculars, and just to situate yourself, and especially as a senior. Gives, I know ah! uh, that was the right face to make, but just to give some context to your trajectory, will you just run us through that and list quickly? What do you do on campus? Sure. Um, so I am a molecular and cellular biology major, and I also decided to do a minor in religious studies. I actually came in thinking I was going to be a Spanish minor, but then I think if anyone is listening out in the Puget Sound community that has taken intro to world religions with Jonathan Stockdale. I think they can maybe relate to that. I took that class and was really like, oh man, I need to shift some things around. So I did that. And I also get to work as a program assistant in the Center for Experiential Learning, which is really amazing. And I've gotten to do that since freshman year. Um, And this year I started a new position on campus working in the Office of Student Accessibility and Accommodations. They started this really wonderful um, peer mentor program Mm. that came as a result of a gift from a donor who was a parent at Puget Sound. So their student went through the process of, you know, having accommodations and things like that. And so they gave this really generous donation. And so now I get to work as a peer mentor. I also do research with Brian Thines in the biology department, which is really an incredible experience. I'm so, so fortunate that I get to do that. Let's see, what else do I do? I was an orientation leader, as we've just discussed. That was very exciting. I got to be part of both the sort of old orientation program and the new orientation program. And then kind of outside the immediate sphere of campus, I volunteer at the most incredible place on the planet. It's called Neighborhood Clinic. And it's a free urgent care in Hilltop. And it is just, I think, one of the warmest, most loving places that um, I've gotten to be a part of. And it was really an amazing discovery to find that in Tacoma. And then... Um, The last thing on my list is that I get to serve as the social and education chair for Phi Sigma, which is the Biological Honor Society on campus. Wow. That's a long list. (laughs) I expected a long list, but that is a really long, and I noticed also really diverse list. You're just doing 
a lot of stuff that heads in a lot of different directions. Yeah. No, that I think has been a really amazing thing that I didn't necessarily set out to do initially. I I didn't say to myself, you know, kind of, okay, I want to play around in the sciences, but now I really need to do something that's in a totally different area of campus. I think um, my sort of approach to figuring out what I wanted to be a part of on campus was just to sort of follow my nose a little bit on what was exciting and where, you know, people were that I really wanted to engage with and who I was really drawn to. And I think it ended up creating this really cool mix of different of different things and different people. Did you come in expecting to be a natural sciences major? Was that mm. something that you already had in mind? I was definitely thinking about science for sure. I had gotten to sort of go explore the world of research a little bit before I came here and just kind of say, you know, this is something that I liked taking in high school. I took, you know, AP biology and I took a psych class. So I was sort of tentatively interested in it. (laughs) Yeah. And then I took, um, you know, chemistry and biology my first year and really loved it. And then Mm -hmm. I got involved in research and I was like, oh, this is super cool. Um, So I decided to to continue on and do that. Let's maybe talk about that. How did you get involved in the research in your freshman year, in your first year? I did. How'd that happen? Yeah. So first semester, I was meeting with my advisor and just kind of chatting about, you know, what does science look like at Puget Sound? What do students do? What classes should I be taking? What things should I be thinking about? And Brian Thines had just, I think, come to Puget Sound as a professor. Year, as a professor. Yeah. So he was um, kind of new as well. So we were both, you know, in our, our first year, maybe he, you know, that was his second year or something. But he was really um, open to having a first-year student in his lab. So my advisor initially reached out to him on my behalf and said, you know, I have this student who's interested in in doing research. Like, maybe you could, you know, chat with her and give her some information about what that looks like. So Brian then reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I have a couple projects going on. Like, do you maybe want to sit down and chat? So I did that, and I, you know, knew very little about genetics or right. molecular biology at the time, but had some excitement about learning a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so I did, you know, pretty simple lab tasks for that first semester, but just kind of got to um, dip my toe in and, and figure out if that was something I was really interested in. And it, it really stuck. It was it was a really cool way to start off my freshman year. And you were doing genetics type stuff. I was. So the the very basic things that I started doing were things like PCR, which is a common lab technique that a lot of people are familiar with. So and I, think, I am not. So will you explain yes, what that absolutely. is? Absolutely. So it's a cool way of looking at a particular gene. So okay. you have so a gene. I feel like is kind of a buzzword these days. Genetics gets yes. tossed around a lot in That's true. culture and things like that. Um, but what we use that tool for, it comes up in a lot of different scenarios. But what I was specifically doing was we're, we're interested in, and now this is kind of you're getting the backstory on what Brian's lab doesn't yeah great sort of research has been about in the lab we we study a very cool system of protein degradation so we use plants as a model organism to study this very conserved system so all across different eukaryotes this this protein degradation system is being used and we we look at plants because they're a really great model organism but we're interested in figuring out we're looking at a particular family of proteins that we think helps coordinate kind of a network of different processes within an individual cell so very small scale that helps plants better respond to environmental stress sure so so the, the first year I got started, that was a really big question, and I had no idea or really any sort of skills or resources personally to be able to help out in that way. So I, I got started with very simple lab techniques to ask questions about—we we would, you know, grow up some plants, and you go through— 
all these sort of processes of harvesting the DNA that is inside of that tissue. And right. you can ask questions about what genes are there. Sure. And so that's what I was using that particular tool to do. And so I kind of got to expand throughout the rest of that semester and in future semesters on my sort of toolbox of resources that I have as a scientist to get to ask a little bit sort of broader questions and, and use different techniques. And have you stuck with these questions about genes and genetics throughout your career at Puget Sound? Is that the work you're doing now as a senior too? Yeah, it is. It's definitely built on that. So we, we kind of can come at that one problem from a variety of angles. So now I get to use this very cool technique called bimolecular fluorescence complementation. I know, it is very exciting. Um, and so I'm I'm asking questions on sort of a slightly different scale or context about physical interactions between proteins. So I mm. mentioned that family of proteins that we're interested in that we right. think is important for, for stress responses. So um, what I'm doing is visualizing in an actual plant system one protein interacting with another because we attach them to this fluorescent molecule and then you stick them inside of a plant and it literally <laughs> inject them into the leaf of a Using plant. Using a syringe? Using a syringe. Whoa. I know. It's very exciting. Yeah. And then you look at it under a microscope and if your proteins have interacted, they will glow because your cool. probe is brought back together. And then you can right. see that under a microscope. This is just the whole concept of coming up with that idea as I a know. way is... Who did... I, I mean, yeah. maybe I should know that, but I have no <laughs> idea. It's so cool that we can just do that. Well, and it's so... It's such a smart way to do it, right? That if these two things have gone together, they'll right. activate somehow and it'll show up. Exactly, exactly. Which is, I, I think, a common sort of theme with molecular tools is that you have a question that you want to ask and you figure out some way of reporting that that has happened. So either with a fluorescent probe or you can use different types of attachments to, to answer your question. So if this is happening, then I should see this, um, which I think is a really cool way, as you were saying, to, to ask those questions. Yeah, absolutely. And you are speaking really confidently and fluidly <laughs> about these types of questions and about these techniques. And you are also, just as a quick little kudos, doing a great job of explaining them to a non-science major. Oh, thank you so much. So, I'm so glad. Yeah, virtual <laughs> high five for that. Um, do you do you want to stick with this? Is that kind of the plan as you graduate and think about what comes next? Yeah, that is the, the immediate plan. So I think the broad umbrella goal is to think about how I want to fit into the world of science and medicine in mm -hmm. a very broad sense. So I am really excited about the possibility of going to medical school, cool. which is, I think, possible to combine a background in research with the sort of clinical side of things, which is sure. why it's been really exciting to both work in a research lab and also get to, you know, be in a clinic setting and, and do some of that. Right. So this coming summer and potentially this next year, I am going to be in Mountain View, California, which I did not know where that was. I don't Admittedly, either. until kind of recently. But I'm working at a research foundation that is primarily studying age-related diseases. So heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, that kind of stuff. Right. And the project that I get to specifically work on is with a professor who's studying atherosclerosis, so heart disease, the plaques that form in our blood vessels. Um, and what we're doing on the project is testing a panel of different drugs to see if they can help pull toxic forms of cholesterol out of the blood. Because we know cholesterol is a really, you know, it's a big risk factor for heart disease and for a whole other host of sure. really, you know, diseases and things like that. So if we can eliminate some of those from the bloodstream, then hopefully we give people a better shot at preventing the formation of plaques in the first place. Elena, this is, that's super it's cool. It's cool, right? I yeah. know. It's really exciting. I can't, I'm so excited. How long have you known that that's what you're going to do? Um, This job came about probably within this past month or two. So I applied, I think, 
think maybe over winter break or okay. at the very end of winter break. And then, you know, the kind of whole application process I interviewed and got right. to chat with them a little bit and then accepted the position as a summer intern or summer student. And then there's the possibility of kind of extending that into more of like a post-bac sort of 10-month long program. So I'd get to be around a little bit longer. Cool. And I mean, I know you probably know people that have done this. And I know people that have done this, but it is really common and I think also a good idea for a lot of people to take a year or two and just do something before any type of graduate school, whether that's medical school or the just a PhD. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense to me. Definitely. And I think the cool thing about this particular program is because I'm interested in knowing more about sort of translational research. So how does the work that you do at the bench ultimately get translated back to actual patients that can be useful for them? And I think bringing in sort of issues of access and, you know, who gets to be part of those new solutions to really complex problems is something that I'm interested in in knowing more about because I feel like that process is a little bit confusing or is a little bit hidden from view. So this research foundation I, I loved because they have a really cool mission of branching out sort of beyond just the walls of scientific research and really collaborating with, you know, policymakers, with educators to try and figure out, okay, what does it actually look like to translate this new thing that we've discovered in the lab that's so exciting to our patients? And so I want to know kind of how the world of both medicine, so clinical care and research can sort of play together. Well, and that question of social equity in science Mm -hmm. is, I mean, as someone who's not in that world, but feels like kind of a new one to me. I don't know if that's fair to say. Sure, yeah. Yeah, this, I mean, I'm really excited that you brought that up because this has been on my mind a lot. And actually, you know, kind of as a graduating senior, there's a lot of reflecting and thinking about, you know, what has my sort of scientific career been at Puget Sound, if you will, and what have I learned? And in this last semester, I think really there's been a lot of growth for me in, in considering how my position as a scientist, I mean, really, you have a lot of power in science. And I think learning more and more about the history of that and the story behind, you know, how science has been used in the past as either an equalizing force or to really sort of perpetuate and um, worsen the effects of discrimination and oppression and things like that has been a really important, I think, thing to consider and realization for me. So um, it's something that I'm really happy to be having more conversations about right now, but is also something that I want to, you know, leave behind as I graduate for for new students to really think carefully about. Because I was actually having a conversation with, I don't know, do you know Leslie Saucedo in the biology department? By name more than I do in actual life, yeah. Well, she's wonderful. And (laughs) we were just chatting along with a couple of other students in biology about this very question of how to sort of link our science education and curriculum with really important conversations about, you know, social justice and equity and how do we fit into this bigger picture because as scientists, we're not sort of isolated in this bubble. We really are part of this cultural landscape. Um, And so something I learned from that conversation was that MCB majors and biology majors, like 40 or 50 percent of students in those majors will take something like four extra biology courses that aren't even required for their major instead of kind of branching out and doing that. Right. Um, learning in different areas, you know, taking AFAM classes, history classes, you know, to sort of expand our, our understanding of the way that science participates in society. Right. So really, maybe we should all just be STS majors, but... Yeah, science, technology, and society. Science, yes, Great exactly. department. Great department. Really incredible. <laughs> so trying to figure out, you know, how do we... What are the, the places that we can merge more effectively conversations about science with conversations about society and, and I think yeah and I imagine for you that's really lived because of the work you've been doing at the neighborhood clinic absolutely definitely definitely and I think it's a really 
cool environment too because you know the technology is not at all flashy it's very much you know kind of it's everything is donated everything is based on volunteers and people who have really just devoted their time and energy because they think it's you know what's right and it's what fills them up so I think coming from a world of thinking about you know what complex technologies can we design in the lab and how can we get better and how can we answer and ask all of these really important questions but at the the heart of care is really this sort of interpersonal interaction of how do you show up for someone? How do you understand their story with all of the the factors and facets that come with it? Not just, you know, what symptoms are you expressing or what is your sort of main complaint today, but where do you live? Do you have, you know, access to transportation? Right. Do you have a family? All of those sort of important questions. And I love that at the clinic, there's a social worker that comes in and interacts with every patient and, you know, asks them how they're doing. What do they need? Do they need it translated to Spanish? Do we need an interpreter to speak their language with them? Right. Um, so I think those sort of two worlds of bridging, you know, the sort of complicated technology advancements with like the very basic, just what does it mean to deliver effective care to people is a really important thing to look at. Did you, do you know Ben Lewin in the SOAN department? I do know Ben Lewin. Have I took you, Ben Lewin's class. You took social health and medicine. I did. That was one of my favorite classes I ever took in college because it Amazing. got into all of those issues that you just laid out, right? Yeah. Can you have objective health? And mm-hmm. of course the point of view of a, that sociology class is no, yeah. you can't. That it's right. inflected by where you come from and you know, it's easy to say Absolutely. exercise, but do you have a safe park in your neighborhood you can go to? Exactly. Do you have access to a grocery store? And one of the things I loved about that class was not just that those questions were being asked, but because of the nature of the class, because it counted for the pre-med prep and it counted for the sociology and anthropology major, yeah. it was half people like me, right, who are yeah. SOAN nerds with basically <laughs> no medical knowledge. Really wonderful SOAN nerds. <laughs> Thank <yes>. you. <laughs> Um, And half people that wanted to be doctors and had never taken a sociology class before in their life. And so you got this really interesting melding of just the way that people saw the world where all of the sociology people came prepared to say everything is subjective. Right. (laughs) And all of the biology people, for the most part, came prepared to say there are objective realities about health and medicine. And to have this sort of group experience of meeting in the middle was was just it was cool yeah that's really powerful that's a cool mix of people Mm -hmm. for sure no I totally would echo everything you said about that class and also would say I'm currently taking the connections class about health and medicine Mm -hmm. which is taught through the psychology department yeah and the combination of both of those so thinking from from the sort of social context about you know social determinants of health and how do people interact with our healthcare system to also delving more into the psychosocial factors that impact people's health so things like stress things like social isolation or you know just kind of all of the things that are then tied to your social network has also been another cool layer I think that I hadn't really understood prior to this moment and as I think really broadened my you know understanding and appreciation for what does you know health mean what does disease actually mean because I think also in Ben's class we talked about sort of the the medicalization of things of creating this sort of I guess, market, if you will, or Mm -hmm. just sort of like world in which things are considered diseases, which maybe don't necessarily need to (laughs) be, you know, considered from that perspective. Pregnancy. Do we need to medicalize pregnancy as much as we do? Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's a real question. I didn't mean that as a setup for the answer to be no. Right. No, no, no. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, I'm trying to think of where I came 
in contact with this, maybe a podcast or a book I was reading, but it was talking about how pregnancy in the United States is very much associated with pain mm. and the sort of messaging that we get about what it means to be pregnant, to go through the process of childbirth is very, you know, it's like the worst pain you will ever experience in your life. Right. And that is what people know. That is what people understand. But in, you know, different places, that's not the story. That's not yeah. what people, you know, think about when they imagine what it's like to bring a child into the world. It's very much about all of this sort of different things surrounding that, the rituals that, you know, however that is going to play out. But I think it's interesting that, like what you're saying, we have to feel like, you know, if you're pregnant, you need all sorts of this, like prenatal care, this vitamin, you must, you know, be monitored by a doctor, all of these things. And I think the conversation's about like midwives and the sort of like natural childbirth or being at home or things like that was a really cool conversation to have in Ben's class. It gives me just so much confidence and joy to know that you are asking these questions <laughs> and thinking about these things. It's exciting. I mean, it's it's hard and frustrating, but I think just so, so important to really dive into these things in in a really meaningful way and not just kind of read one article and say, cool, like now I feel really educated, but to, to ask those questions and, and go forward and sort of sit and feeling really uncomfortable about them. So thank you for asking them. I really, I appreciate you. Elena, we are ending all of our conversations with four quick questions about Fugit Sound. So okay. to kick things off, what is the best place on campus, in your opinion? Mm. Okay, I have two answers to that question. Great. So the, the first answer that immediately comes to mind is, so you know you're walking on commencement walk, that big sidewalk through the middle of campus towards the gym, towards Weyerhaeuser, Yeah, and you sort of get past... Um, commencement hall uh-huh. and there's the break between the buildings and you can see on a clear day Mount Rainier just framed between I think it's Weyerhaeuser and, and commencement and Thomas and Thomas you're right Thomas yes. you can tell what year I am what era you what are era that the name of the building Which changed like, I'm not even really from that yeah you're yeah, vintage exactly. I'm vintage wow. yeah <laughs> um so that spot just fills me with such you know joy when you get to walk to class or if you're going home and you just get a glimpse of the mountain you get hit over the head with the mountain mountain. yeah Yeah, and it is just so beautiful and just fills you up that is one of my top favorite spots on campus Mm -hmm. and then the other one that i randomly discovered and then fell in love with which is kind of weird is in the corner of wyatt the sort of main atrium with all of the glass on the first floor there's a corner like if you're going to walk out towards union where the heaters are and it is like one of my favorite (laughs) spots because i'm cold all the time and so i discovered this spot like finals week maybe a year and a half ago and i just camped out there for the entire week so i was like this is warm it's sunny the light is coming in it's really beautiful you get to sort of see things so for people that don't like having their back to the door you are kind of like nestled in this really warm cozy little corner in just the middle of Wyatt and it's kind of fun to see people like milling about and going about their lives so that would be my maybe second favorite spot on campus which is you know bizarre because I spend primarily most of my time in Thompson but (laughs) branching out what are you reading right now what I'm reading right now I'm reading a book called the spirit catches you and you fall down I love that book it's Anne Fadiman yeah it's Oh. really incredible and I think you know kind of is, in, is a it's, nice segue from what we were chatting yes. about just a second ago um, a really really cool book so I'm, I'm reading it for my health and medicine connections class and really enjoying it so that's that's what I'm reading right now cannot recommend that book highly enough yeah. and I'm excited to talk to you about it once you finish yes I'm so excited what's your favorite place to eat in Tacoma okay I think it's changed a lot over the years but my favorite place right now is called Quickie Twos and 
as somebody that doesn't eat dairy, this was a legendary discovery. I am, I'm not <laughs> vegetarian. I'm not vegan, but it is a vegan restaurant. And my strongest memory of going there, which is the one time that I've been there, was going in and ordering food and seeing the most adorable little kid like behind running around behind the counter, like with a cell phone in hand, like throwing it on the ground and just kind of like tromping all over the place, just like giant smile on their face, just like happy to be surrounded by these people. And it was just, again, like a very warm, welcoming environment. Plus the food was incredible. Like vegan mac and cheese. I had not had mac and cheese for a long time. So this was like truly a revolutionary experience for me. <laughs> Elena, lastly, what makes Puget sound so special? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that make Puget sound really, really special. But the the theme that has been on my mind the most recently, so graduating, there's a lot of thoughts and emotions that are coming yeah. up. And the biggest thing that stands out to me, I think, first and foremost, is the people and the relationships that form on our campus. But I think also the amount of resources that are at students' disposal to really push for changes that they want to see, both mm -hmm. on our campus and, you know, in our community and in our world. And I think as I've been trying to explore how to, to really advocate for things that I'm passionate about on our campus, I have been just so struck by how people dive into that with me and are willing to sit and have conversations and ask, you know, what support they can offer from a really genuine, you know, place. And I think that is a super special thing about our campus, being in a, a small community where people know each other and have connections to different areas. I think it's really empowering to know that people want to hear your voice and that people think your story is really powerful. So that is something about Puget Sound that I really appreciate and think it makes it a really special place. Elena Fulton, it is always such a joy to talk such to you. Such a wonderful time talking with you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Thank you to our guest and to you, the listener. You can follow Puget Sound on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at UNIV, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. And we hope you'll join us next time for another episode of P.S., the Puget Sound podcast. Podcast.